0: It's been an extraordinary few weeks, hasn't it? I mean, I know we probably keep going on about it, but um, just the craziest month, really. I came across this quote, uh, I think it was Lenin, uh, who said that sometimes nothing happens in decades and then other times decades happen in days. And it feels a bit like that, doesn't it? Just that we're living in a time where, as Luce was praying earlier, you just don't know what the headlines are going to be and everything's shifting and the nations are shaking and it's just extraordinary. I mean, if you'd said a month ago, is it a month? Give or take. If you said a month ago that uh, in a month's time, Britain would be out of Europe, we'd have a new prime minister, Boris Johnson would be foreign secretary, and England would have been beaten by Iceland. Well, maybe you can believe that. But I mean, who, you wouldn't have... What odds would you have got for that? It's just crazy times. And it's been quite emotional, hasn't it? The response to it. Especially the Brexit stuff. I mean, it, wasn't it crazy? Like, social media, like, just the news feeds just, like, going mental. Just this outpouring, this venting. A lot of it understandable. Days of it. People getting stuff off their chest. Uh, and eventually, people began to wonder and uh, post, like saying, you know, when are we going to get back to normal? You know, when, are we, when am I going to see a, another video about some cat doing something crazy? <laughs> and we know, what they, we know what they feel like, don't we? And the good news is that yesterday, I think I saw my first cat video since the Brexit. Anyone else? I mean, it was one, it was a guy riding a moped, and uh, his passenger was a cat standing on its hind, hind legs and just dug in, like, on his, on his shoulders, so he's like a flat pat, like a flat cat. Anyone else see that one? Just cruising, I don't know where, yeah, well, let's share it, guys, share the love. <laughs> so the good news is, I think we might be back on track, the cats are back, things are getting back to normal, but it's sort of understandable that things are so emotional at the moment, um, because I think the emotion has a lot to do with hope. hope. And you see, hope is the key. It's one of the keys in life. It influences everything we do. I, it's hard to think of something that perhaps you, that we've even done today that, that you couldn't explain through hope, being motivated by hope. I mean, even getting up in the morning. I mean, isn't the reason any of us got up in the morning because we were hopeful we might have a nice day Have a worthwhile day, or the reason we had lunch, maybe you had a Sunday lunch, a nice lunch with friends. You planned that, you you went to it because you hoped you'd have a nice time, and that you'd actually fuel your body to be able to do the stuff you need to do. Maybe you hit the gym because you hope it might make a difference, (laughs) and, you know, it does, and you all look amazing. But everything we do is fueled by hope, isn't it? Hope is the key. And so often when we get in trouble as human beings, it's because we put our hope in the wrong things or the wrong amount of hope in those things. So money. Money isn't evil in and of itself. We all hope you get great careers and that you you make lots of money. But money becomes a problem when you put your hope in it when it becomes your security, when you think that that is what makes your life, your identity, secure. Because no one can guarantee the economy. I mean, the economy could tank at any moment. I've got a mate who's just moving out to Ireland, and he just went to sell his house just after the Brexit result. He's 100k down because of that vote. No one could have, well, perhaps they did predict it, but... If you put your hope just in money, you're going to come unstuck. Or relationships, they're great things. Many of us will hope to be married. They're all good things. But if you put your ultimate hope on a person, then it won't satisfy. It will come up short because people make great friends. They provide great relationships, but they make lousy, hopeless gods. Because they're not made for that. They're not created for that. So, having right hope is the key, and what we're looking at tonight is Christian hope. And what I want to say tonight, I'm so excited about this message because Christian hope is the one thing in this world, it's the one thing in this universe that can truly provide people with purpose. That can truly provide people with comfort, with vision, with strength, with joy. This is Christian hope. And how key is it that we have that right hope today? The world we live in. 48 hours on from Nice. Nice! How many of us have been to Nice? Nice! Not as many as I hoped, but it's the kind of place loads of people have been. People, families out there having a great time. There was a girl this morning who came to church. She came in, I'd never seen her before. Um, I was praying for niece and I heard some, uh, you know, someone was emotional. There was some tears. And it turned out at the end, one of our most faithful women who's been here for over 30 years was having a long chat with this lovely girl, let's call her Jenny. And she introduced me to her because Jenny was in Nice 48 hours ago. She was down on the waterfront. We try to get her talking about it because it, it helps to get people processing as soon as possible. She, could, she couldn't bring herself to say anything. How key is it to have a message of hope in this day and age? You know, we live in an age where... I look out and I just see uh, there's lots of empty chairs. And you know that, it saddens me. It doesn't sadden me because I want a big church. I want to be a vicar who's got, you know, 300, 500, 1,000 in his congregation. We're not in this for numbers, for numbers' sake. But it saddens me because every seat that isn't filled is a soul that could be in here hearing good news hearing a life-giving message, hearing the only hope that there is in this world. And people aren't here because they simply don't think Christianity is relevant today. Not relevant. How relevant is Christianity today? It has every relevance. How relevance is the cre- relevant is the creed that we declare as a church that we'll be saying later on? How relevant is that today? Quite frankly, it's the only thing that is relevant to this world. A world that so desperately needs to hear the message that we carry. We're finishing off tonight our series, In the Creed. Put a hand in the air if you've enjoyed this series, In the Creed. I have to say, at the outset, I was a little sceptical. Tim and I, we had a bit of back, you know, back and forth about it, and I was like, wait, Tim, ooh, and he's, you know... <laughs> All hail, Tim. Good shout. Good shout, vicar. It's been amazing. Learning what we're about, what we believe as a people. a Belief that makes a difference with how we live, impacts our day-to-day lives. We're coming into land tonight and we're looking at the final article of our faith, which is this. I believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Let's pray before we go any further. Lord, thank you. Thank you for tonight, for all of us gathered here, this small band of brothers and sisters, the chance to hear this message, to hear your word, To hear why this is such good news. Why it is such unique news. To hear the gospel in a nutshell. A message that has the power to transform our lives, our souls and the life of every person in this world. Would you come Holy Spirit? Would you give us ears to hear, hearts to respond would you open our eyes? Would you help us to see wonderful things in your law? And would you help me as I communicate it? Lord, we pray for just a joining of minds by your Holy Spirit, for Jesus' glory. Amen. Clarence McCartney was a brilliant Presbyterian preacher of two generations ago, just by the by, I've never heard of Clarence McCartney before. Uh, it's preachers, we, we do research, we come across things and we like to put them in our sermons and pretend like we're well-read. Uh, but for 27 years, he pastored the first Presbyterian church of Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh? Pittsburgh. Is that right? Pittsburgh? I used to go to a holiday home in Pittsburgh. That's very different. Pennsylvania. McCartney wrote this. In certain respects, the great article of the Apostles' Creed is the last. I believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Without that article, the other great affirmations have no meaning. Suppose one were to say, I believe in God the Father, but not in life everlasting. Or I believe in the Holy Spirit, but not in life everlasting. Or I believe in the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, but not in the life everlasting all those affirmations would be meaningless without the great chord struck in the final sentence of the creed. As McCartney writes, without that affirmation, the Apostles' Creed would be like a cathedral wrapped in the gloom of night. But with it, the creed is like a great cathedral illuminated by the sun and showing all the glory of the architect, sculptor, and painter. Isn't that amazing? Thank you, Clarence. And tonight, I think this this message, this article is the most exciting because it quite simply could be the most life-changing. Why? Because it is death transforming. Death has been transformed because of this truth. It's the gospel in a nutshell. It is us, the church, declaring that we believe in the resurrection. We, forgive me if I don't speak for you, uh, many of us here today believe that Jesus is alive. And we're here because we believe we can know him and have a relationship with him. A relationship that begins now and goes on forever. Those other seats are empty because others perhaps simply don't believe that. Because friends of yours, colleagues of yours just aren't there. They're not on that grid. They're not on that map. They don't have that worldview. What is the worldview of, of the age? There could be different ones, but doesn't it go a little something like this? That, that a lot of those we know, a lot of my family, my friends would say, You know, we don't have all the answers. Yes, there might be something, there are definitely things we don't understand, but ultimately, we're here by chance. There was a big bang, things just came together, some sort of primordial soup before time even began, an explosion, and then came about the earth. And we've just come about on it, and it's all by chance. And we're just here, intelligent apes on a rock that is spinning through the universe. Here by chance. Here today, gone tomorrow. And when we go into the grave, that's it, we'll be worm food. I mean, isn't that sort of where the culture's at? Many of them. And it's a worldview that gives no space to God, that has no place for God. And as such, it has no place for the idea of judgment. God coming to judge the living and the dead, what we looked at uh, a couple of weeks ago. And it certainly has no place for eternal destinations. But you know what? There's one historical fact that sadly throws the spanner in the works and slightly does for that worldview. And that historical fact is this the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus is still alive today. The resurrection like it or not, changes everything. And that whole worldview has to find its place in the light of, through the lens of, that one historical event where a dead man came back to life and ascended into heaven where he reigns now and forevermore. So the Christian claim goes. This is the resurrection. And the Christian faith is that the resurrection of one body, the resurrection of Jesus' body, points forward to the resurrection of everybody. That one day, the Bible says, the living and the dead will stand before the great throne of God, God the judge. And if you're dead, he'll just raise you to life. He knows where every atom and molecule is. He'll just gather it all together. You'll be back. Or those who've gone before, whether they like it or not. The resurrection of one body points to the resurrection of everybody. The important thing to say about the resurrection of the body is that it isn't resuscitation. Okay, there's a difference between resurrection and resuscitation. You know the story of Lazarus, yeah? Give me a wave you know about Lazarus, Jesus' friend in the Gospels. He was great friends with these sisters, Mary and Martha. They had a brother called Lazarus, and uh, they used to hang out a lot, and they, they were close. And then one day, Lazarus got sick, and he got really sick. And in fact, they sent word to Jesus saying, Your friend, the one you love, is, is sick. Can you come and do your stuff? You know, make him well. And Jesus held off. And Lazarus died in fact he died so much that he was buried and he remained in this tomb three days I mean he was fully dead and Jesus came and you know what he did you know he just said roll away the stone they're like you are he's gonna stink he's like roll away the stone and then he said Lazarus come out and Lazarus dressed like a mummy you know with he came (laughs) he comes shuffling out I guess he'd probably have that much purchase with his ankles. I mean, no one ties them that tight. So he's probably able to do that or hop. And he's out like that. And they get him off so he doesn't, you know, asphyxiate. Uh, And he's back. But you see, the difference is that he's died. He's gone to glory. He's been beholding God in his glory. He's been enjoying that. And then they've just said, "Um, one little thing, Lazarus. Um, You've got to go back. (laughs) And they sent him back from glory. And he's like, what? I'm really having a good time. He's like, sorry, we've got to send you back. Jesus is calling you. He's calling you by name. He's raising you to new life. And Lazarus comes back. But the difference between the resurrection of the body to come for us as believers for all of eternity and what happens with Lazarus is that Lazarus is merely resuscitated. He's not truly resurrected. resurrected. You see, when he comes back, he comes back into his same body. He comes back having been enjoying just a pain-free existence, and he comes back and he starts suffering. He's so probably like, oh my gosh, that ligament's still giving me jip. You know, and like, oh, and that earache that I had. you know." I don't know if he still had the same sickness. Hopefully the Lord delivered him of that, the one that sent him there in the first place. But do you know what I mean? He came back to the same body. He came back and he lived again, but do you know, do you know what the funniest thing is? Not really funny, it's a bit dark, but he had to die again. (laughs) I mean, Lazarus is one of the few people in history who got the honor of dying twice. (laughs) Can you imagine that? Because Lazarus was merely resuscitated. Whereas resurrection is something brand new. And resurrection, the picture that we get is when Jesus has died. Similarly, he has been buried for three days in a tomb. The stone gets rolled away. He is risen and he begins appearing to his disciples. And at the end of Luke's gospel, it says how the disciples are gathered together in a locked room, probably the size of our vestry with a door not unakin to that, locked, bolted for fear of the Jews. And it says, Jesus came and stood among them. And he said, peace be with you. Because they were freaking out like, "Where did A, where did you come from? And B, how are you here and alive? And all of that. And he says... Put your hand in my side to Thomas, Doubting Thomas. He says, give, give me a bit of that boiled fish. I don't know, he loved a bit of boiled fish. So they're like, Give him some boiled fish. And he ate it, took it, and he ate it in their presence. And then he went on to teach them about the kingdom of God, about the plans that God has for this world and beyond. And then he took them outside and he ascended into heaven. He, he literally defied gravity and went up into the clouds and disappeared from their sight. This is resurrection. What do we learn about a resurrection body from that account? Well, we learn a few things. We learn that our resurrection body, because this speaks of what we will have, what this will happen to us, guys. I know you're all there thinking, you, I'm going to live forever, you know, because you're mid 20s and stuff, but believe me, give it another 12 years and you'll begin to realize, I'm not doing as well as I was. <laughs> Time is catching up. Um, we're not going to live forever. But we will get resurrection bodies. And what will they be like? They'll be like Jesus. They'll be recognizable. They saw, they knew it, it was Jesus. It was the same body, but it was different, it, but it was recognizable. Secondly, it, it was physical. That's why he said, touch me, Thomas. Because people would say, oh, he's just a ghost, or he's just a spirit, or just, there's all this stuff. But it's, it's material. It's physical. He ate a bit of broiled fish. I've got a mate who became a Christian because of that fact. He couldn't believe that a ghost would eat boiled fish. It was physical. And thirdly, his body was supernatural. I mean, Jesus' body, it was a locked room. His resurrection body has the ability to walk through solid objects, to pass through time and space, to defy gravity. Should we give it a go? Shall I try and walk through this selection? You all pray. Stretch your hand out. Come on, Lord, just help me. Not resurrected. That is to come, but it will be supernatural. We will have these amazing bodies. This is all to come. And this is what ours will be like. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 35. We're going to look at this passage, try and make sense of what basically is a foreign language to the 21st century. If you don't have a Bible, it's coming up on the screen. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? It's a very reasonable question. Or is it? Verse 36. How foolish. (laughs) Sorry, Paul. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined, and to each kind of seed he gives its own body. All flesh is not the same. Human beings have one kind of flesh. Animals have another, birds another, and fish another. There are also heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies, but the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind, and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars another. And star differs from star and splendor. So it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. Put your just stick a hand in the air. If right now you've got something going on in your body that's just niggling you a touch. Or just in the last week you've just had a light, slight- Oh, that's that's annoying. Put your hand in the air if you are just feeling perfectly healthy. The rest of you, phenomenal. Good morning Lord. We all know what it's like. We have bodies that are subject to disease, tweaks, pains, injuries. The body that is sown is perishable. It's flesh and blood, we're made of dust. The body that is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. Guys, if we have the privilege of living into our 80s, into our 90s, even beyond, I imagine there'll be a certain amount of dishonor to do with our bodies when we're buried? Bits that just don't work as well as they used to. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a supernatural body. Can we make sense of this? Do we know exactly what it will look like? No. But we know from just nature, from looking around us, that things transform. Life takes on different shapes. We know the the acorn analogy. If you were to show someone an acorn, annoyed I didn't find one in time, but imagine that is an acorn. Just look at it, tiny. But in there is everything required to form a massive oak tree. No one could predict that. But you plant it, it dies, and out comes an oak tree. Well, last night I happened to catch... On TV, watching this program about the natural world. What was it called, Ems? (laughs) It's called like Natural Misfits or something, like all these freaky animals and what happens with them. And there's this caterpillar, it's called the woolly bear caterpillar, and it lives in freezing conditions. And there comes a point in the year when it's, it's just too cold and it has to eat, it's like, keeping an eye on the time, it's like eating as much as it can, put on as much weight, because it basically has to go and die throughout the winter. It goes, and its, it's heart stops, its blood freezes, but it releases somehow antifreeze into its system, so it sees it's, itself through the winter until spring comes, and it's like, unfurls, and it goes again. <laughs> until such time, after seven years, when it creates, it forms a chrysalis, and it does that whole magic thing. Except the one difference, you think, yeah, and then a butterfly comes out. No, a horrid moth, really furry, (laughs) furry, big moth. Oh, it was a bit rank. But it was amazing. No one could predict that. But that's what happens. And so it will be with our bodies. We will get new bodies, guys. We will get resurrection bodies that are fitted, kitted out for eternity. They are equipped for glory. They are made to accommodate God's presence and fullness so that somehow our system, our being, can take in the waves of love, of glory, of beauty coming off God and our bodies will somehow be fitted to be able to absorb that and enjoy it forever. This is where we're going. Does this give you some sort of hope? that we have something worth living for now, that this is our destination, this is where we're headed. Does this give us a message of hope for the world where bodies stop working and many bodies stop working ahead of their time and life gets taken from those bodies against people's will, and the evils, atrocities of Nice and other places. Does this give us hope? Well, it certainly should. And the second part is It's going to go on forever. We get resurrection bodies, but we also believe in the life everlasting. A few quick things about the life everlasting. Firstly, it's now. John 17, verse 3. Kath, if we've got that, let's flick that up. Says this, this is eternal life. To know you, this is Jesus speaking, to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. In other words, Jesus is saying eternal life, life everlasting, it begins now because it's about relationship. In other words, everlasting life, life everlasting begins the moment we believe, not the moment we die. We have it now. If you know and believe in Jesus Christ, and then you are saved. You have life everlasting. That's where our joy comes from. The Holy Spirit, the life of Jesus filling us This is why we believe in joy and not happiness. Because at the end of the day, we have a joy that cannot be shunted by whatever happens in the world. Whether we lose everything, whether some freak storm just sweeps away our family, whether the financial crisis takes everything we own, whether we lose every limb on our body, it cannot take away our joy because we are destined for eternity. And we have it right now. And it echoes even now. Philip Yancey writes these wonderful words. He says, All the beauty and joy we meet on earth represent only the scent of a flower we have not found, the echo of a tune we have not heard, news from a country we have never yet visited. Isn't that cool? Eternity breaking in. We get to experience now it now because we know Jesus and we know his spirit and the life that the Spirit brings us. This is why Paul could say in Philippians that to live is Christ. Yes, to die is gain, but to live right now is Christ." And John said in one John, one of his letters, "He who has the Son has life." Do you know that life now? Are you enjoying that life now? That's the access we've got. And guys, if we want to impact the world around us, we want to impact our places of work, our families, where we live, whatever, we need to own that now. We need to come back into just unashamedly owning the fact that we believe some crazy stuff, that we will get a resurrection body, and that we will live forever. And that relationship begins now, and we can know Christ now. It's the first thing to know about life everlasting. Secondly, It's all about Jesus. I know it goes without saying, but it is all about Jesus. Heaven will be about Jesus and the Father and the Spirit. So you only want to be there if you love Jesus. And we do, don't we? Don't we? We want Him. We want to gaze on Him. If only we could get a glimpse of what that eternity would look like. If only a glimpse or... heaven could break in for a moment, what would it shift about our perspective, about where we're putting our hope now, about what we're living for, what we're prioritising right now. I need to just get slapped upside the head sometimes by God. I mean, the world offers so much, doesn't it? So much shines and twinkles and says, come this way. Yes, that looks nice. And we go after this, like, oh, it's a bit disappointing. And we go over there and like, yeah, well, that was quite fun. And we're just just constantly distracted and we think we're going to find life here, there. We go all over the place and nothing, nothing comes close to the presence of the living God that we can know now and that we're headed for. And if only we'd make that our number one, we would see this world transformed because we'd see our lives transformed one by one, one by one. It's all about Jesus. Heaven is going to be gazing at him. We'll be with each other. It would be super fun to be with everyone, won't it? to do some more of that sort of tent-holding stuff. Imagine doing that for a few hundred years. I mean, amazing, eh? It's going to be great times. But mainly, we're just going to be like, yes, this is fun, Lord, but I do want to gaze at Jesus a bit more. I just want to worship him. I want to enjoy him. Just because every, every second, just a fresh wave of revelation of who he is, going deeper into the heart of God, his beauty, his glory. Isn't that a vision worth living for now? Pointing others to now, That's where we want to be. That's where we're headed. We're headed home. Heaven is our home. As Paul said in 2 Corinthians, we prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Is that your desire? Is that mine? Am I right now today thinking actually I'd I'd rather be with the Lord than here, but I've got some stuff to do here, so I'll get on with it. Or is that being flipped? And am I? Are you thinking? I'm kind of loving it down here. I hope this keeps going for some time. There's nothing altogether wrong with that. But God, He wants our hearts, doesn't He? He wants us to long for Him even more. And the the beauty is that the more we long for Him, the more we'll enjoy our life here anyway. And everything will be fitted, just echo with eternity. So, it's all about Jesus. And finally, it's forever. It is forever. So, it's now, it's Jesus, it's forever. 1 Thessalonians four sixteen to 17 says this, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, And the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Jesus said in the Gospel of John, he who hates his life will keep it eternally. It's another way of saying, he who has the right priorities, who fixes his eyes on me, will find life and life forever what does forever mean well it means without end what does it look like it looks like enjoying everything you enjoy now everything you go after now that's that's right and good <laughs> that you love enjoying it forever what, what do we love what kind of things do we enjoy it's just throw me throw me something Holidays. I love holidays. <laughs> to spend a couple of thousand years on holiday. Is that right? Maybe. Yes. Holidays. Anything else? Snickers. <laughs> Snickers bar. The chocolate bar. Why the heck not? Enjoy that Snickers bar. Get the biggest Snickers bar in the world. Enjoy it forever. Or just a while. Anything... Any advance on Snickers? Friends. Friends. You know, heaven is described as like a feast. It's, it's the nations being invited to the banquet of the Lamb, God's own son, to his bride, the church. And eternity is going to be a banquet that goes on forever. You will, looking at your ages, you'll be just sort of entering wedding season where the next decade, kiss goodbye to your weekends. But uh, it's going to be great fun. But you'll all know these times where it's like, oh, You get weddings and then you get weddings, don't you? You get weddings where it's like, are you going to that wedding? Oh, nice, have fun. And then you get, are you going to that wedding? Have have the invites gone out already? And you're like desperately searching your your post, you know what I mean? Those weddings, like, really hope, fingers crossed, I get invited to that wedding. This is one of them. And it's going to go on forever. And it's going to be community, it's going to be friends, it's going to be fun, some angels doing some crazy stuff in the sky, there's going to be food and wine and Jesus, and it's going to be incredible. And it is going to go on forever. Now, as I land, what's more important than this message, than this article of our faith? What is more important to hold out to the world today, a world that is shaking, a world that desperately needs to hear a message of hope, What's more important to live for right now than this future hope that is secured, that gives us courage? All it takes is for us to die to ourselves daily and live for eternity. And this isn't something crazy, and this isn't something that will be a foreign language to to friends, loved ones who don't know the Lord, because Ecclesiastes says in Ecclesiastes 3.11 that God has set eternity in the hearts of men in other words everyone knows deep down somehow that they are made shaped for eternity so when we share this message when we speak of it it will resonate so be bold be courageous and the key thing to know guys is that it's only those who trust christ who get it john 3:16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I am the way and the truth and the life, Jesus said. No one comes to the Father except through me. Is there any more important message, therefore, to take to a world that is rejecting him, that is blind to him, Yes, there are other needs, desperate needs in our world, but there is no need as great as the human soul. A human soul that is shaped and destined for eternity, one way or another. Jesus said, what does it profit a man or a woman? They gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul. Anyone know anyone who owns the whole world? The respect we give people who own quite a bit. You know, they're wealthy. Oh my gosh, they own a yacht. Oh, they, they own a condominium. <laughs> they own that section of central London. I'm not joking, they own that whole section. You know, Bill Gates, the Queen. The, we're like, oh wow. They own nothing. Jesus says, what if someone owned the whole world? Everything, they'd be like a god. And yet Jesus said, It is worthless if they forfeited their soul. There is nothing more important than a man or a woman's soul, guys. Life eternal is on offer. But there's another side of the coin, which it's important to mention, which that verse, John 3:16, speaks of. the other option, for those who reject it, for those who refuse, this invitation to come to life. And that is eternal death. It is the perishing of John 3:16. It is what the Bible calls hell. Hell has a lot of different descriptions in the Bible. It includes outer darkness. It includes fires, burning up the flesh, an eternal body that is forever regenerating. It includes for me, the things that haunt me the most is the idea of regret. There'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. As people realize, what have I done? Why? Why didn't I listen? Why? Didn't I heed that invitation? Why did I reject? So much weeping as they head off into outer darkness. I, that thought of that regret, I'll be honest, it drives me. It helps me do what I do. Does it drive you? Does it motivate you? The thought of what could happen to those loved ones. most terrifying description I heard of, of hell actually was uh, a woman speaker, and she was describing it as, hell is a place where the flesh is unbounded, it is unrestrained. So we know what the Bible means, that our flesh, our desires, our anger, our, our lust, our hatred, our, that's the stuff that the Bible talks about, the flesh. And what exists now in this life is common grace, where God, in his grace to humanity, allows those things to be reigned in, allows those things to be checked. But this woman, she described hell being a place where there will be no check. So you will begin to feel angry and that anger will just burn and burn and burn and increase without end until it consumes you. Whilst at the same time, you begin to feel lust, a lust which we all empathize with, we all experience but then it checks itself. Common grace kicks in. We are able to control things. But in that place, there will be no control. There will just be that, that burn. That will just be that unsatisfied desire ever increasing. Without end. It is a terrifying image. And this is the place that those without Christ will head Do we need Jesus? Do we need the creed? Absolutely. Because we need salvation. And as a preacher I once heard at university said, you cannot flirt with Jesus Christ. So let me ask that this evening. Are you serious about Jesus Christ? Have you put your trust in him? Or are you just dabbling? Are you just flirting? He's a little thing on the side, just one day a week, Sundays. You cannot flirt with Jesus Christ. There's too much at stake. We believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. And we've been spared those consequences. We've been saved. We will not come into judgment. Hallelujah. But what of those on the outside? What of these empty chairs? I almost want to prophetically say that from now on when we see these empty chairs, let's think of those who should be here. Those we long to be here. Those we should be crying out for. Whom our hearts should be breaking for that they need warning, that they need telling, because that's what love does. It speaks out, it warns. If you'd have seen that truck beginning its journey down the promenade, if you'd known what was coming, would love have stayed silent? Or would it have shouted out? Would it have warned of what was coming? That is part of the package, but it is not the main part of our message that we take to the world but it has to be part of it. And we're not being honest or clear if it's not. But we lead with life tonight. We know this life. We lead with that invitation to truth. It's the heart and reason why Jesus came. That life begins now. That it's all about Jesus. And that it goes on. Forever. Hallelujah. Amen. Let's stand.